Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 23, Survivor Series. This is the first of several Survivor Series that we're going to do, and today's Survivor Series is with Brandi Hewitt, a friend of mine who has also dealt with breast cancer. When I was first diagnosed, I had spoken with several women who'd walked this road before me. They became my lighthouses in the distance because when I heard their stories, it encouraged me that I too could weather this storm. It might be hard and dark and terrible, but look at the hope that I heard when I spoke with others who'd been there, who really got it, who understood what it was like to feel like they were drowning. It soon dawned on me the reality that is attached to this metaphor. It's not one person alone that makes a difference, that brings hope or brightens the way to that lighthouse out in the distance. Rather, it's the collectivity of all of these little flickers of light. And the truth is that the more we unite, the brighter that light shines the brighter it shines for the next round of warriors until we get to the day where we have won this war. And all of our stories matter, those who've made it and those who haven't. Together we will weather this storm. Together we will get hope that we can weather our own individual storms. And together we will weather the storm of breast cancer and get ourselves to a world where it no longer exists. Each one of these tales told unites with the next I like to imagine an army of women. We have our arms linked in arms and just all of the people affected by this disease uniting and our stories uniting. That is a force to be reckoned with. These Survivor Series, our stories united, they brighten that light so that no one has to sit in that darkness alone. We weave hope into the tapestries of our own storms because we are not alone. So I wanted to bring a Survivor Series for those of you who are listening. Maybe you don't know somebody that you can pick up the phone and talk to who's been there and done that. So with the Survivor Series, today is the first of many, I plan to hear from several of these survivors. Have them on our show so that you have the opportunity to hear that no, you are not alone. There is hope out there. I'm going to spread these episodes throughout our Keepers of the Flame podcast series and let their voices and stories be heard to shine a light on the disease, to promote education, awareness, but most importantly, hope. Today, I'm very excited to welcome a friend of mine, Brandy Hewitt. Brandy and I connected back when she was just starting her journey. We had a mutual friend, a friend that was a preschool mom of mine and her neighbor, and our friend connected us, and so we were able to have this conversation with one another. And today, we're bringing it to you guys. Brandy, we're so happy to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us real quick, little background, where you're from, what you do for a living. 
I'm originally from Texas. I'm a transplant here, and I joined the police department about four years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you work you work in Savannah? I am. I am a Savannah PD. Fantastic. Now you are you have joined the sisterhood of having to deal with cancer, and it's that sisterhood yeah. that nobody wants to ever deal with. Yes. Tell us how old you were and how you found out. I was actually 38. I just had my baby, my third child. So about almost three, four months after having her, I went for a run and I noticed that my right breast was a little sore. And you know, I just had a baby, so I thought maybe one of my milk ducts was blocked. And so I made an appointment to go see the doctor. They did a mammogram and said, you have a blockage. And I was like, well, no, duh. Kind of figured that one. Yeah. Because you were still nursing? I was not nursing. Mm, Okay. And so then they, you know, referred me out and then I went and had another mammogram done and then I had a couple biopsies and then it was kind of the waiting game. It's the worst. And by October, after having three mammograms, three biopsies, a CAT scan, and I think I also had another biopsy, they were like, you have stage three breast cancer. Stage three. Yeah. So once you got that news, what's the first thought that went through your head? What do I do now? Yeah. You know, I get emotional thinking about it because, you know, I went to the doctor and I had my husband with me and my surgeon came in and she was like, okay, so we have some news that you're going to have to take a pause for. And she said, you have stage three, you know, you got some of it in your lymph nodes. So we have a game plan for you. And I was just like, okay, what do I do? Where do you need me to be? Where, where do I show up? Just tell me and I'll, I'll be there. Right. You're on crisis management mode. Yes. Let's solve this problem. Give me the steps. You know, it, I think it took me halfway through my treatment, to be honest with you, for me to break down and cry Mm -hmm. because all I was doing was just go, 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 go. You know, I had to be at this appointment. I had to be at that appointment and I didn't have a lot of time to kind of take it in. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of those moments where I was like, you know, I just... I have to keep going. I, I think have it, to. Yeah, I think it hits you like shock too. And like there's oh, no, yeah. like... Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. When I first found out that I had masses, this is before I knew that it was actually cancer. But when I first found out that I had masses, my first reaction was I laughed. Mm-hmm. Because it couldn't be true. Yeah. Like it was almost oh, yeah. like denial. And then when I found out, okay, you have cancer, then like the whole world just kind of slowed down. Oh, yeah. And it's not that I didn't cry or I didn't get emotional, mm-hmm. but kind of like you, you're like... What do I need to do yes. to not die? Give yep. me these steps and I'm on it. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it was like. When I did my, I think it was my first round of chemo, I sat in that chair and I cried. Once they hooked me up, my port up, you know, I had surgery to put my port in and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I was ready for my first round of treatment and then... They put me to the machine and I just sat there crying. And the nurses were wonderful. They were like, yeah. you know, it's your first one. You got this. There was an older gentleman who had, I think it was his third time with cancer. And he looked at me. He goes, baby, it hasn't stopped me one bit. You got this. And I just smiled and I cracked up laughing because, yeah. you know, he knew I was scared. I was yeah. scared out of my patooties. Right. Because Well, and rightfully so. It. I mean, you're entitled to feel however. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, a- you know... Halfway through, I, I kind of let myself cry and ask why and, you know, all, all those questions, you know, that rush through your head because you want to know why. You know, why me? You know, I've done, right. I've been really healthy. I've eaten really right. I've had a good life. I do good things. And you were young. And I was very young. They told me I was young but old for my cancer because I had a HER2 estrogen positive 
And so it usually affects younger people. You were people. Her, HER2 positive? Mm-hmm. I was HER2 positive and an estrogen positive. And progesterone? I was not. I was negative. Negative for that. Okay. So they said usually that affects younger people. Mm-hmm. And she goes, so it's a young but old for you. And I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to do it big, I might as well do it big then. Yeah. But it was it was a challenge. It really was. And emotionally, it was a roller coaster that nobody expects and nobody wants to do but luckily I had a really good support group that helped me through it I don't think anything really prepares you for that level of tsunami no no it doesn't you know we have family members who passed away from it and you know I had my dad who passed away from pancreatic cancer he was stage four the only thing for him was just to keep him comfortable and so I was there for it but my mom, she was the caregiver. I had my grandmother pass away from cancer. I had another aunt pass away from cancer. It, it was it was around me, but it didn't affect me because I wasn't really there right. the day in and day out. My husband did an amazing job. I give him complete props. He did an amazing job. For someone who's never had cancer in their family, He, I think it hit him like a ton of bricks. I remember we were laying in bed and we just cried. We yeah. just held each other and cried. Yeah. Because he was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. I want to fix it. We went through a similar thing too. I think, and I think that's, that's something that people listening need to keep in mind too, is that your spouse is going to go through their own series of processing it too, whatever, whatever that might be. Brian and I, we we like control over things. (laughs) And the fact that I didn't have control yeah. over this. And then he didn't have control over this. Mm-hmm. And I think you said, like, your husband was like, well, what can I do to fix it? That's the problem. Yeah, you can't, can't fix it. You can't fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that so that does that does make it hard. But that doesn't mean that we can't have that awesome support system. Yes. And that we don't value and appreciate and need yes. their presence. Yes. One of my partners from the department, we, we were beat buddies when we were on the street. And when I say we've literally chased and fought people together, we have done that. She was a huge supporter. She stood right by me through the whole thing. She even started me a GoFundMe account before I even knew it. I didn't even know that account even started until somebody emailed or actually Facebooked me and said, hey, I just donated to you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, she started shirts for fundraisers. I mean, she, she was just, she had the ground running. Yeah. And she has ever, ever since. And... I was not, you know, I didn't expect that from people that I worked with. It was a nice, fresh air to breathe to see somebody that wasn't related to me, who I'd worked with for almost, yeah, four years, care so much. Right. It was pretty amazing. It was really moving. And I cried a lot because Uh I didn't realize how many people supported me. And I didn't even know it. Yeah. I didn't even know it. Yeah. Okay, so you had, so you found out that you had cancer and you were go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And then emotions started to roll in, kind of becoming this big roller coaster, high, low, high, low during the whole treatment series, right? Yeah. Talking about treatment, what kinds of treatment did you have? Well, I had chemo. After that, I was going to have, after my strong chemo, where I lose all my hair, my eyebrows, and all the hair off my face. Then I was going to have maintenance and I was going to have radiation. I recently just finished radiation. So that's five weeks. Yeah, five weeks of radiation every day for 15 minutes. And it I was not a great radiation patient. I was very moody. I yeah. bless, bless those ladies' hearts. They put up with a lot for me. <sighs> but radiation was not fun. Did not I like that, it. And I think that's something to keep in mind too is that 
how these treatments affect you is going to be very mm-hmm. different, highly individualized. Because I've heard mm-hmm. some people say that radiation was harder than chemo. And then I've heard others say the complete opposite. For me, radiation was fine. Chemo was not. See, and I, I made that comment that radiation was harder than chemo. And I think it was that I was doing it every day. And then I could physically see my skin burning. And that's the worst part. you seen that charred layer of fur skin is, is gross. It looks like a bad horror movie. Yeah. And then when it stares to bubble and blister and then it just kind of sloughs off, you're like, this is miserable. Right. And, you know, and with chemo, I was very lucky. I had it every third week. So I had time. I had two weeks to recover, almost three weeks to recover. And with radiation, it was every day. So my skin was just getting more damaged and yeah. breaking down and breaking down. And I think that's what made me a really crabby patient right there's yeah i think i was very blessed with radiation because i didn't get that much skin damage until towards the end and then with chemo though it was more for me it was more like this very chemical mood change that's when i hit my emotional element you know chemo i i still occasionally get the chemo brain but chemo brain was awful during chemo people said you know you're gonna have chemo brain so be prepared and i'm like Mm. it's like prego brain right and they're like no (laughs) it's a whole different level and they were so right it was but i was staying very hydrated i was making sure i was eating a balanced meal when i did eat because there's some days i just wasn't able to eat i tried to exercise as much as i could even if it was walking i mean i'd walk for about five minutes and call it a day because i was like i'm spent done that was my motivation too is i was like during while i was doing chemo i was like i need i want to drink lots of water Mm -hmm. stay hydrated and move a little bit Mm -hmm. as much as i could just to kind of keep things moving yeah i don't know if this is scientifically accurate or not but my thought process was then it won't pull up in let's (laughs) let's keep moving keep hydrated it'll flow through my system faster you know and that is actually something that i think everybody goes through because i would sit there and you know the ladies would be because you know at the very end of all your chemo drugs you have just like that little bag of fluids left and i was like you better leave that hooked on i'm getting all those fluids so i'd stay another 30 minutes and surprisingly, I think it was either mind over matter thing for me because I felt better. Yeah. You know, if I had the rest of those fluids and if I stayed hydrated, I kind of would f- help flush that stuff out. Again, did it really work? I don't know, but it made me feel good. So, yeah. and then yeah. keep, and keep moving. I didn't, I started to get joint pain, like stiffness in my joints. And they said that was going to happen because of the chemo drugs. So any way I could, I would walk stairs. It would take me a couple minutes to walk a flight of stairs, but I did it. Mm-hmm. I would park not too far in the parking lot but far enough where i could walk but i had to keep moving i couldn't sit still with it any other kinds of side effects besides chemo brain and joint Um, pain and i guess i didn't really have too much of the metallic taste Mm -hmm. i was very lucky i didn't get that everything tasted funny anyways i Mm -hmm. mean my taste buds were off some things that would seem sweet to people were not sweet out of me and i'd carry a little tabasco sauce with me because i'm like this does this is has no taste (laughs) taste. and everybody's like it's really hot brandy you should probably stop i'm like nah it's fine (laughs) you know so my taste buds were always off i always smelled something something always smelled burning i don't know what it was but i was like it's burning and there's nothing's burning yeah okay i mean other than that and then my hair loss when i lost that hair it wasn't too bad until I lost my eyebrows. Yeah. That's kind of where I had another crying moment where I kind of sat in the bathroom and I cried. I lost my eyelashes. I was like, ah, I'm fine. I still got my face. But that that one eyelash, you know, started falling out and I I lost it. I think it was over my eyebrows. And it was just an attachment to them. I think we all have have our moment where Mm -hmm. we... It, it, where it hits us, yep. whatever oh, yeah. whatever it is. Now, you you knew you were going to lose your hair from chemo. So yes. you went ahead and shaved it off ahead of time, I right? I did, tell yes. Us, tell us about that. 
once I did that first round of chemo, they'd already warned me and they said, hey, you know, within a couple of days, right before your second round of chemo, you're going to start losing your hair. So be prepared. And I said, okay. By week two, it was falling out. It looked like a small Pomeranian in the bathroom. Like there was hair everywhere. I started losing it at the top. I started to get the old man horseshoe yeah. going on and it was terrible. And so I told my husband I wanted to embrace it. And I said, let's throw a shave party. We'll invite all of our close friends and then we'll have a low country boil, have some music, some drinks, and we'll go ahead and just shave my head and call it a day so that I don't have to watch my hair fall out. Because it was one of those things where I would look in the mirror and I'm slowly watching this transformation. And, you know, I'm slowly losing myself, if that's how it, if yeah. I could best describe it. And he was, whatever you want, babe, we'll take care of it. And so we did. We had it the Thursday before my treatment. And we had everybody over. And it was funny because he'd not shaved my head before. And so I was a little nervous because he goes and gets his hair cut. And so he was, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'm like, okay. And so he was getting close to the ear. And I could feel the buzzer. And I was like, oh. He was like, I got this. I got this. But yeah, he shaved my head. He shaved his head. And my two boys shaved their head, and my mom shaved her head. So we all were kind of baldy for actually through my whole treatment. My mom actually still has not shaved. She has not grown her hair out. She is keeping it shaved until I'm completely done with everything. Um, Yeah, it was a very empowering moment. Uh, Yeah. And I think that those are the moments where we talk about loss of control. Mm -hmm. This is a moment that you might not be able to control what's happening to you. Chemo is making your hair fall out. But you can choose to do that on your terms. Whether or not that's something that people listening choose to do or not, taking ownership of those small things. Oh, yeah. That you can have control over. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big things between with me and my husband is that we like we like to control things. In our field of work, we control most things. And so we being unable to control this, we try to control every small thing. And it did it made me feel like I was involved in my treatment. Right. And I was involved with my treatment anyways, but losing my hair, gaining weight or losing weight, these are things that I could I could help along. And so I did. I tried to stay in control as much as I can. I read as much as I could. I throw ideas at my oncologist and be like, hey, I heard about this. What do you think? And, you know, she was very receptive and said, you know, I think this is a great idea. Yes, you should start vitamins or no, you shouldn't start this vitamin. It was right. nice. It was nice to it's be part good of it. To, it's good to do that research, arm yourself with as much education mm-hmm. as you can, and then take that and everything about you and your cancer and your treatment plan and everything and take it to your provider and say, yes. lay it out there. Yep. That definitely helps with yeah. that control. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Now, you had surgery as well, right? Yes. So tell us about surgery. So when I first started talking about surgery, my surgeon was saying, you know, we could go ahead and remove one breast, you know, because, you know, you only have it in one. And I'd always said, if I ever got cancer, I'm just going to have both of them removed. Do the full thing. Because I'd heard several stories from other survivors saying that it was, they found it years later in the other breast. Mm-hmm. And I, I told I told my surgeon, I was like, I don't want to be cancer free for five years and then year six find out it's in my other breast. I don't want that boob to get lonely and start to act up. Right. <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah. So I went ahead and I told my surgeon to, I wanted a full removal of both of them. And I think it was harder for her to understand because she was like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm 100% sure. She was like, so you don't want reconstruct? I was like, nope, just take it and I'll be done with it. So you had the bilateral mastectomy and then you you chose uh, no reconstruction. Correct. Yes. 
And surprisingly, I had a lot of male people say, well, congratulations, good for you. And I've had a lot of females give me the complete opposite. They're like, well, don't you feel pretty? I mean, what makes you, don't you feel like a girl? Those moments I have to kind of bite my tongue because I really want to tell Don't, don't, don't bite your tongue. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, are you serious? Did you just ask me that? I think, I have no idea. I'm guessing that the only reason why somebody would say something like that is because they're trying to put themselves in their shoes and they just yes. don't think that they could do it. And that's been some of the things that have women have said. She goes, you know, I had this one lady say, when I was actually getting my camisole for my surgery, you know, you have to go in, you have to get your camisole and get you fitted for it. And the lady that was working there, she was like, are you sure? Yeah. She goes, I just don't know if I could do it. And I go, well, you're not me. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a handful of women, mm-hmm. actually, that have opted for no reconstruction mm-hmm. at all. And you can't tell. Like, no. You really can't tell. Like, who goes around staring at, you no. know? like I mean, I look like I have a small chest. Yeah. I mean, if I mean, if you look at me and I wear a shirt, you're like, oh. But if I wear, you know, a flowery, wavy shirt, you, you can't tell. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those moments where I was empowered. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't, I didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to spend another year, you know, not be able to pick up my kid, you know, because I just had a new baby. I wanted to be able to pick her up. You know, I wanted to carry her and rock her to sleep. And I couldn't do that knowing that I was going to have to not do any physical activity. I love being outdoors with my kids. We go camping, we go kayaking, canoeing. I had to put all that on hold and I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm okay. My husband. <laughs> My husband said, babe, I love your boobs and I love everything about them because they're great pillows. He goes, but I want you in the long haul. You know, I want you in the long haul. I don't want your boobs because, you know. He loves you, all of you, not that one part of you. Just that one part of me. He said, just don't lose your ass because I do like your ass a lot. I was like, well, thanks. But, you know, he was a great supporter because when it came down to it, he told me, you know, it's your body. You know, you need to decide. He goes, I will. I love you for you. Not because you have breasts, you know. I love it when they say that. Brian said that to me too, and, and they get so many points they for do. that. He did not realize how many cool points he got for that. You know, I told him, I go, I'm going to have them removed, and I don't want to get fake ones. I'm okay with that. I've had three beautiful children. I'm still a woman. I will always be a woman. Just because I don't have breasts does not make me less of a woman. And actually, when I walk around the pool without my bikini top on, it's because I'm showing you that I'm a survivor, that I made it. I love that. They're, the scars that you have, they're just marks that show mm-hmm. that we were stronger than something that tried to take us down. Yep, pretty much. I love my scars and I see them every day and I smile in the mirror because I'm like, I'm here one more year. I'm counting down. I'm lucky to be here. A lot of women aren't lucky. Right. So I embrace it. Right. My little, my little that's roadmap. A, that's a good perspective right there. So NED, N-E-D, no evidence of disease is what that stands for. How mm-hmm. long have you been... No evidence of disease. Six months. Six months. Six woot, months. Woot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Every day, every month, I count it down. I do. I count it down. Because I've been on my chemo drugs for a year. This November will be a year with my maintenance. When you obviously. say chemo drugs, is this Herceptin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I have maintenance up right. until November. Because you were her two positive, and I that's was. what they give for mm-hmm. her two positive. Are you you're done with that or still on maintenance? I'm still on maintenance. You're still on maintenance. Yeah. Main, uh, November, the second week of November. Towards the tail end. Of oh, it. yeah. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I, I mean, I'm super lucky that I haven't had too many side effects. I think maybe my gut occasionally gets upset. It's funny that during my surgery, after I had my surgery, three or four days later, I had to have my gallbladder removed. I haven't really been able to eat a whole lot. 
the spicy and the fried food. Mm. So I'm eating that's that's kind of curving it. But I mean, other than that, I really haven't had any side effects yeah. since being on maintenance, which is right. nice. And then when you're done with the Herceptin, will you have to take a hormone blocker too since you're yes. estrogen positive? They want to put me on a blocker for five years. Right. Now, luckily, I will have that sit down with my oncologist Friday because I meet yeah. with her Friday. I get treatment Friday and I'm going to meet with her. One of the things that I liked that my oncologist said was that I would never be rid, rid of her. Yes. And I yes. like that. I think that that, could be, that mm-hmm. could be, you know, upsetting to some, but for me, I felt... I felt great when I heard that because I was like, all right, you people are going to watch this stuff. Yes. Like, we're going to make sure it don't come back and you're on top of it. And so... It's a good support. It's a good line of support because my concern was, okay, you're cancer-free. Go enjoy life. Well, how do you do that now? Oh, okay. Now, that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Work in progress right here because Lord knows I have my good days and I have my bad days. What would you say was your throughout this whole process for you what was what would you say is the biggest challenge of this journey and your biggest life lesson i'd probably say my biggest challenge was learning to live with the changes in my body it is really hard before chemo i was very fit you know i had long hair i had these great bushy eyebrows i had all i had all that stuff i could run six miles a day and and, no problem for me. And then kind of being sidelined. It, it felt like layers on an onion were being pulled back. Yes. And just showing the centerpiece that I could survive even though all these layers I was losing, I was still me. I just had to learn to embrace the new me. Right. It's kind of like with all my scars. That first week or so seeing myself naked in the mirror, I, I was just like, oh my God, that's me. That mm-hmm. That's the new me. Right. I talked to a lot of women, you know, that also helped that had gone through similar surgeries like I did. And they said it was learning to relove yourself, relove the body that you were given, you know, after all this, because you're literally a, you're a new person, new person, you know, you're physically and emotionally, you're a new person. So you have to learn to get used to the new you learn to learn to love you again. Right. And so that took me a little bit. Um, some days, you know, I'm just like these, damn eyebrows won't grow back you know i'm looking at your eyebrows and i'm so envious of them right now i was was like oh she's got awesome (laughs) eyebrows i was kind of hoping to get these really bushy caterpillars back and like reshape them but i got these instead so i'm okay i'm still like am i gonna ever come back (laughs) (laughs) whatever i guess the one thing the other thing was biggest life lesson it would actually be enjoying every day because every day is a blessing Every day. Whether or not you have cancer or, or not. not. Yes. Our life is not guaranteed. The next day is not guaranteed to us. We are on borrowed time. You know, somebody had said that one to me when I was in my teens. And I was like, this old man don't know what he's talking about. Little did I know what he meant. Wise, wise, wise. Very wise. And so I literally enjoy every day. I embrace it. I make sure that when I come home from work, I leave work at work and I come home and I'm mom to three beautiful children who play soccer and go to Boy Scouts. And I have a one-year-old that runs around screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'll (laughs) scream with her because she's only going to be one for a little bit. Right, right. So yeah, I embrace every day and I enjoy it. I like to tell women too, and and trying to get this message out there, because this I think this was hard for me to accept, and I'm getting there, mm-hmm. and I'm getting better at it. But I still I think I still have. I mean, I work in progress right here. But <laughs> recognizing that we can be strong, and we mm-hmm. can be brave, and we can be courageous, 
But that doesn't mean that we don't fall. Correct. It doesn't mean that we don't feel or we don't very believe. True. Very true. So another reason why I'm very excited that you're here with us talking about all this because it really puts it in perspective. It's not, let me stand strong through this whole terrible thing that's happening to me and I'm going to never bend or break, <laughs> right? But so it happens, yep. but then the strength and the courage is mm-hmm. knowing that when that happens, yep. we can get back up again. Yes, and you... You know, you just, it's how you recover from it. People would say, oh, you, you know, I don't know how you do it. You're so brave. And I would tell them, I'd honestly say, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Did I cry? Did I roll up in a ball and cry in bed? Yes, I did. Yep. I did. There were, there's days where I was like, I'm drinking this whole bottle of wine by myself. <laughs> yeah. I tried, but because the chemo drugs, it made me sick. And I was very hungover right. the next day. So that <laughs> we'll did not pretend. work. We'll hold the bottle. <laughs> I'll just hold the we'll, bottle. We'll <laughs> you get the idea when I'm waving this in my hand. Yes. But, um, yeah, it was, I had to do it. I just had to. You know, the thought of me leaving my children behind and my husband raising them on Slim Jims and Mountain Dew was terrifying. I give him, he, he would be great at it. He would. I know. But that would be the range of the house. But I think that's another, like, loss of control <laughs> on our part. But I'm mom. I yes, need to be here. I do. They need their mom. They like, I, I, I wrestled with that yeah. myself, too. To the point where I was afraid right before one of my surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote them a letter because I was so afraid. What if? And see, I did the flip side. I Because that had crossed my mind. What if I don't wake up? And I said, no, I am waking up. Mm-hmm. And you guys are gonna help me around the house when I'm when I can't do chores because I'm gonna sit there and milk it even though I can probably get up and sweep but I'm not <laughs> you know anytime I went in for surgery even when I went in for my port I was like nope I'll see you guys in an hour I made it a point to say I will, I will see you you're not this I'm you're not getting rid of me that quick yeah somebody had said I go I'm gonna go on my terms and I heard actually somebody say if I'm gonna go I'm gonna go in my boots. And that's what I told my family. I go, well, I didn't tell I was going in my boots, but I told them, you know, if I go, it's going to be on my terms. 95. That's my plan. Mm-hmm. I'll stick around on 95. <laughs> I always joke about that. I, I'm going to make it till 95. <laughs> I'm going to have cheesecake for my birthday. And then one of my friends, one of my friends was like, you want cheesecake for your birthday? I was like, I don't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> cheesecake until 95 yes we let's have wait a, every other day except for my birthday <laughs> until then <laughs> what would you say was your biggest fear and your biggest hope my biggest fear was not making it through honestly i was afraid that my body would just give up and i'd seen my dad he was a strong man he straight from the core tall burly man and then when he got sick he got real fragile and real weak and he lost a lot of weight and I saw what chemo did to him and I was afraid uh when they said you're gonna have to do chemo I was afraid that I was gonna happen you know that was my biggest fear was that my body would not let me continue the fight even though my mind said I'm doing it I'm doing it my body would be the be the one to say I'm throwing in the white flag we can't do it but it was really mind over matter because I said even if my body's tired I still got to do it you know, I, I had to. I had yeah. to. I didn't want to give up. I have so much to live for. I have so much going on that I, I'm not done yet. Right. And even if my body's tired, you know, too bad. Too bad. You're got moving. stuff to do. We got stuff to do. Suck it up. Yeah. Let's go, Buttercup. Yeah. That, <laughs> go, that's Buttercup. It. That's it. it. So biggest hope. Uh, biggest hope. Honestly, to find a cure. Yeah. I mean, that that's my biggest hope. You know, I, I would love to find a cure for this. I would. God, would I? I think it would save so many lives, Absolutely. obviously, and save 
so many women and men, because men get breast cancer as well too. They do. From going through this, going through the the torment of, okay, am I going to survive this or am I just, what's going to happen to me? I would love, love for some way for us to, as smart as we are, we have hoverboards. Why can't we fight cancer? <laughs> we will get there. I I believe it. One day we will have that cure. I, I believe so too. And I, I truly do. And, and for me, like that whole control thing, I have the BRCA2 mutation. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am afraid that, God forbid, if I pass that on to my kids, right? Okay, again, I don't have control over yep. that. But as you said, I would like to find a cure, right? So where can I focus my control? I can focus it on trying to push forward to make the world that much better. So that when they get to be my age, God forbid, I mean, hopefully they'd never have to deal with that. Oh, yeah. But for the next woman, the next person that comes along, trying to keep continually Mm -hmm. pushing forward so that every generation is better and better and better and better until it isn't here anymore. Yep. They talk about how important self-care is, which that was a new term to me. I was like, what do you mean? I don't understand. <laughs> self-care. God, I don't have time for that. Like, yeah, I, just, I, I have things to do. That's on the bottom of the but, list. <laughs> no, but it is important. It makes us healthy because when we are well taken care of, then we can yes. well take care of other people. Yes. Again, work in progress here. What would you say is the single most important thing that you did for you during this time? Bubble bath. Ooh. You know, people are like, I'd get a massage. You know, I was, I didn't want anybody touching me. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I was like, no, don't touch me. You know, I couldn't go and get my feet done. I couldn't get a mani-pedi, you know, because you don't want to get cut. You know, you don't right. want, you don't want to have any infections in the skin. So I would, my husband, bless his heart, he would get me a big bag of Epsom salt and he'd get me some essential oils and we'd dip it in there. And He's getting lots of points. He's getting lots of points, brownie points. I just don't tell him that because I don't want his head to get big. <laughs> <laughs> and he would get the bath ready for me and he'd be like, okay, it's ready. And I would spend 20 minutes in there reading a book. That was one of my self things. You know, I made sure that I lathered up after baths and showers, made sure because my skin got really dry, as you know. Mm-hmm. I and don't think mine's ever gotten undried. <laughs> undried. That's okay, because I'm still drying with little dry spots. And then take care of my nails, because mm-hmm. our nails get real brittle. They do. And so I had so many beauty products that were for sensitive skin and like baby skin like on my side of the counter so it looked like it was cvs that threw up on my side of the counter <laughs> my poor husband had like a razor and toothbrush and there was all my stuff a buffet <laughs> yes love it i think there's two things for me that i did and i keep saying that like in every episode i keep saying them again and again people probably can get tired of, of hearing <laughs> them but i like them so here they go one was regaining part of my life because so much of who we were seems to have gotten taken away from mm-hmm. us. And yes. when you, I mean, I used to run a lot. And oh, yeah. then as soon as I had the surgery, it was whoosh, done. I ain't doing nothing. Like I yep. could And not because I didn't want to, but because my body just wouldn't yeah. do it. So finally getting to where I could build myself up gotcha. to run again. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was huge for me because it was getting back part of my life that yes. I felt like had been snatched from me. Yep. And then and then in doing so, I felt like I was empowered and that I could, okay, I got this. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. So it was one for me. And then the other thing was, Lord help me, if I hadn't entered therapy when I did, oh, yes. that would have been a disaster yes. for me. Like I, that was such a blessing for me. So anybody out there listening, I highly encourage them I encourage them at the beginning of getting oh, yeah. diagnosed. Like Most before definitely. you even think that you need anything, you might be yeah. sitting there going, oh, I'll be fine. I don't need it. I got other things to do. No, get one. Get Talk to somebody. It is a huge benefit. It really is. Because 
you need someone to talk to. Yeah. Is look, support groups are great. I love them. But I got miserable at a support group. I was like, good God, this is supposed to help. This is not helping. It's right. making me sadder. And I think, like, if you, in the beginning of being diagnosed, if you find somebody to go talk to, whether or not you need it or not, mm-hmm. you have that space. Yeah, you do. So you don't have to find it in the middle of going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I need help. Yes. You don't have to find it at that low. No, you, you already, already have, have it. space. Yep. Exactly. Huge help. It is. I agree. Now, you joined a gym, too, right? I did, yes. I'm currently not at the gym. <laughs> but, yeah, I joined the, the Y. It was it was nice. Because, like you, once I got diagnosed, my exercise consisted of walking. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to run a couple, couple weeks after my surgery. And, like, after the two weeks, they give you a couple more weeks. I said, well, I can I should be able to run down the block. You know, my body was like, beep, beep, not happening. You were an ambitious girl. I couldn't even walk nope. the school supply section of Walmart nope. at that time. Uh, so I said, you know, I think I'm going to get on a treadmill in the air conditioner because it's so much nicer. Yeah. So I did that. I did that for a couple of days straight. And um, I slowly started to build myself back up. Now, I'm not running six miles. God knows I'm not doing that. But, you know, half a mile I feel great. My joints still hurt occasionally, so I have to take it easy. So a treadmill is nice. You know, I don't have to run on the pavement. I don't have to worry about onion surfaces. Right. So being being active is nice. And the gym helps. And it's also indoors. I'm not sweating. Right. And you can go whenever you want to go. Cold sure. outside, yes. hot outside, raining. Don't matter. No yep. excuses, people. <laughs> okay. What is the best kind of support that you got? It would actually be... No, other than my family and my husband, it was my my partner. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, she the, she was a huge support. And then the people at work. There's literally five people at work that had touched my life during this time. You know, and they they were the biggest support because they see me at work and they would just walk up and give me a hug. I didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. They just knew I needed a hug, and it was great. You know, yeah. or they'd be like. I like your beanie today. It's very pretty. It's very fitting on your face. And I'd be like, oh, thanks. What, you mean the dry spots? No, thank you. (laughs) You know, I actually had one of them buy me beanies. Yeah. You know, because she heard, because when I lost all my hair, I didn't realize how cold it was in my office. Yes, isn't it? It's very cold. I never knew. (laughs) Yeah. Never knew. Because my hair is really thick and I have a lot of it. So to to go to like having none at all cold it's all the time all the time and so i was wearing scarves at work because it was so cold mm-hmm. and she saw me with the same scarf on and she was she i walked to my desk and there was a little box with scarves and i was like oh my god this is amazing and then i saw the little note and she was like i thought your head needed something new so Aww, i was like oh that was sweet so it was nice to you know come to the office and i had like little treasures it was it was nice one of them bought me tea like a little box of tea you know because they saw that i was drinking tea because it was so cold in the office right. i had to stay warm right <laughs> and um it was just the little things the little that little they things. do yes it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter what it is just letting them know that you're thought of yes the notes were sweet too Mm -hmm. i mean like i said i did not expect that from them but it was nice to know that i was that much loved and that much cared about right it really was then there's the flip side of the coin Mm -hmm. where you have the infamous things that people say when they mean well but they're maybe really not so helpful like my goodness i know my aunt lives down the street and she had breast cancer oh she died yeah. Well, that's really helpful to hear. Yeah, thank you. Or, or <laughs> making declarations of, oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's yeah. gonna be, 
do you really know that? Yeah. Where is your crystal ball? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what are what are some of these other infamous meant well but not really so helpful comments that you may have heard? Oh, my my favorite was always, you know, my third aunt had it, but she died, you know, a couple months later. Thank you. That <laughs> makes me feel so much better. <laughs> or I had people would say, oh, I love your haircut. Thank you. Where did you get your haircut? And I'm like, oh, it's chemo. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but it's chemo. I remember I had this lady say, where are your eyebrows? Now, obviously, I had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, and no hair. Right. Kind of looking like Skeletor because I'm kind of not feeling good. <laughs> you think you would know I look sick. Right. But no, no, bless her heart. She was like, where are your eyebrows, sweetie? Like, well, I lost them to cancer. Hopefully I'll pick them up soon. Yeah. You know, or, you know, it'll it'll get better. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Right. (laughs) Right. That was, that was one of the things I was just like, really? That's what you're going to say to me today? And yeah, my biggest one was, oh, my third aunt or somebody. The number of times that people say that. It's like, thanks. They don't mean, they don't mean for it to come across ugly. They're trying to connect. They're trying to... empathize in some way and that's the closest tangible thing that they have to be able to Mm -hmm. relate and so they're they're trying they they are but sometimes it felt really short yeah Yeah. what would you rather hear instead i think i would rather hear somebody say how much longer do you got are you almost done with your battle you look good even if i don't look good you could lie to me that would be fine that would make me happy (laughs) say I could only imagine the strength that you have. I know those sound like cliches, but the the aspiring stuff, you know, makes a big difference. Simple things, you know. I had somebody pointed out to me that I had a really nice round head. And I was like, thank you. Yes. I did not think of that when I shaved my head, but thank you. And she was like, yeah, your head's really round. It's really pretty. It's right. very pretty. And I was like, she goes, you need a little tattoo right there. And I'm like, thank you. I'm going to wait on that one. <laughs> I'll hold off on the tattoo. I'll hold off on that one. That was sweet, though. That was. That was very sweet. Yeah, I like I like it when they say, I had a friend that was very upfront and honest with me, and she would say, Joyce, I, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. I don't get what you're going through, but I want to. Tell me yes. more. Help me understand this. And, and to being upfront mm-hmm. and honest and not trying to pretend that she knows something. Got it. Yeah. But, but then also, you know, okay, I might not get what this is like firsthand going through it, but... I am here for you. Yes. And I will sit here with you through this ick. Just tell me about it. Help me understand Mm -hmm. and help me know how I can be there. And then just opening that window and being honest about it. My husband was like that. He was very much, tell me what I need to know and tell me how to do the things. Because I don't know. And it, it really did help. Because... He didn't know. He read some things and his thing was, I keep reading. I'm going to freak out. Like, I, I don't want to freak out. You know, you tell me what you need. You tell me how I can help you. And we talked about our feelings. Sadly, he didn't talk about his. So that was one of the, the downfalls of me going through treatment was that everybody knew about my feelings. I mean, I was like, hey, this is how I feel. But he didn't really get that chance. Now he is, though. So it's mm-hmm. nice. But he wanted to know. He wanted to know how he could help me, what he needed to do, what he needed to learn, what he needed to read to make it as comfortable as possible, knowing that it's not going to be comfortable and knowing he can't help me. He loves you. He does. He does. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is um, communication. Yes. Whatever. Because if you go through an adversity in life, 
it's going to be a hurdle in your marriage too. Like there's going to be friction. Like you cannot get through something like this and not Mm -hmm. have any sort of friction at all. Very true. And, but whatever, however it manifests might be different from one couple to the next. It just kind of, you know, depends on the dynamics of that couple. But recognizing that if you have friction, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your Mm -hmm. relationship. It just means that you're going through something really hard. And bottom line, you need to communicate about it. Yes. Communication is huge. We, we learned that actually, through my process and we sometimes we do it really well and sometimes we don't learning curve (laughs) work in progress right here yes i hear you i hear you what about your kids how did you tell them about your cancer after i got diagnosed i waited about a week to be honest with you i did not want to i didn't want to scare them because they saw my dad again because that's all they saw was my dad and how sick he got and we passed away. And so I didn't want them to think, oh my God, mom's going to get sick. She's going to die. Mm-hmm. That was the thing I didn't want. So I waited about a week until I could digest it because I had to digest it first. And I told them, you know, we sat down at the table and I told them that I, I'm i getting sick, you know, and I'm going to have to have some surgery and I'm going to have to go get some chemo. And I told them I had cancer. And I don't know if the kids are just resilient, but they looked at me and they were like, okay, well, are you going to make soccer practice kind of thing? And yeah. I just kind of looked at them and I was like, I just told you guys I have breast cancer and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be sick. And you, you guys are like, okay. Mine did it too. And it was such a blessing knowing that they didn't know that that they were, that they were at the age that they were, that they didn't have these preconceived notions that somehow I thought that they should have and they didn't have it. It was like a blessing for me because I had a similar reaction. Like I I tell them this whole big thing that I'm going to have to have surgery. And I'm like, do you have any more questions? And Sage goes, can I have some more chips? Yes, I was. I was like, "What the heck just happened?" This is. I was not expecting this. I was expecting you know a lot of tears and Let oh me my comfort god, comfort you yeah. while trying no. to still Mm-mm. keep it together. Nope, nope. nope. My boys were like, oh, "Okay, well, um, we're gonna go outside and we're gonna play. You have fun with that." Right. I was just like, "Thanks, guys." A blessing in disguise. Yes. I think that yes. was. It like, did. It. it and it was good, too, because they got to see a really strong mom through a battle that a lot of people don't survive, you know? Yeah. And they got to see the best part of me, even though it felt like the worst part of me. And and this is such a good life lesson, I think, is that when life gets hard, mm-hmm. and it's bound to get hard, yes. whether or not you have breast cancer or something mm-hmm. else that happens in your life. I know we like to shield and protect our children oh, yeah. from any yeah. heartache in the world, but the reality is we can't. So when no. it hits you... Mm-hmm. Knowing that you can move forward. Yes. I I did a lot of stuff with them while I was sick. It literally, when I would come home, because I went to work every day. Even though I was working with cancer and going through treatment, the only days I take off was chemo days. And then I do it on a Friday, so I had the whole week to recover. But I was going to work, working 40 hours a week every day. Came home, it was like, mom's home, homework time, dinner time, brush teeth, shower, bedtime story. It was nice to be normal, if that makes sense. You know, to do the normal things with my family and kind of forget that I was sick. That's it. What a role model. That's awesome. I think that's important for them to learn that lesson. I have two more questions for you. One is you have a daughter. Yes. What would you like that next generation of young girls growing into women to know about breast cancer? You know, what saved my life, I I really do say it, is self-exams. Had I just let it go and not put two cents into it and been like, eh, it's just a duck. It's a block duck. No biggie. 
I think it would have gotten worse for me. I think I would not have caught it when I did. I did it. I do. Well, I used to do exams. Right. You know, every month because I was so young, I couldn't do a mammogram. So I always made sure I, you know, did my own self exams. If you have family history of it, educate yourself so you know, you know, like my daughter, she's going to have to start her first mammogram at 25. That blew me away. Blew me away when I was told, you know, she she may or may not get it. And she's going to have to start checking herself at 25. And I was like, oh my God, that's so young. But I thought, no, that's a perfect age. The more she knows, the more she's armed with information, the better off she will be. The more she will be, if it ever does come, she'll be prepared. She right. won't be blindsided. Because I kind of was. I I did my self-exams, but other than that, I didn't know two squats about her two positive and estrogen positive until right. I got sick. Until you had to walk that road. Yep. This is my favorite question. I ask this to everybody. Um, so somebody that might be diagnosed today or tomorrow, what do you want them to walk away knowing from this podcast? You're not alone. You're you're really not alone. There There is a sisterhood of, we don't want to be in this group, but we are in this group. Yeah. You know, this is the club that nobody wants to join, but somehow we all kind of get that lucky golden ticket too. There are, there's a ton of us out there. And, the, and there is a lot of support. In there that. is a lot of support. And you're not the only one because I think I was like, oh my God, am I literally the only one? Like, that's what it felt like. It feels very isolating. Yes. And even if you may have heard, oh, Aunt Jemima might have had yep. breast cancer once upon a time, it still feels very isolating. Yes. But knowing that it's not. And yes. that it doesn't have to be and that you're not alone. When I was getting ready to have surgery, I toyed with the idea of, okay, I made the mistake of, you know, searching full mastectomies. And that was a terrible idea. Do not Google that. That is a terrible idea. You know, because it was like all the bad stuff, all the bad scars and you know, yeah. all the bad things. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But then I found like, I found a link and it was women who are standing strong who are bearing their chest. I didn't realize it was such a big movement had I not looked into it. And it is more acceptable now than it used to be, of course. Right. It's not a taboo like it used to be. You see a lot of women now posing in photos topless, you know, bearing their scars, telling their story, going to the beach topless. I went to the beach over the summer, you know, and went to the pool. And I was, I was prepared for the comments and the looks. And I was... I, like, had the speech in my head. You know, somebody okay, said something. And you're a police officer, too, so you look this up. I just have to insert this because you and I had this conversation we before. Did, yes. They're like, you're like, I went through all the books. <laughs> and yes. this is legal. This is. You can go topless. As long as there's no nipple, you're fine. Yeah. You can walk the beaches. You, If I want to walk outside to the mailbox without my shirt on, I can do that because I have no boobs. Right. I think... Doing those things gives you that control back. Right. And that was part of me controlling the fact that... It helps you accept yourself. And you said it before. There's a new element of who you are now. Yes. That you learn to love and accept inside and out. Yes, most definitely. Well, Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate having you. Thank you. And thank you, too, for all of y'all at home listening. The goal is to make sure that women who are diagnosed, who are fighting, who've been there, who are living with metastatic, who are on the other side and survivors, that all of them know that we are not alone. So I'm looking forward to adding more Survivor Series to our podcast. Please feel free to rate our podcast series and also to share it so that when other women hear it, the more that they will recognize that they too 
are not alone. I look forward to speaking with you guys again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.